Getting custom manufactured parts can be a difficult task. Some local shops are great, but some require order minimums or just won't pick up the phone if you aren't a large company. That's where Zometry comes in. Zometry is trusted by engineers and designers at NASA, BMW, Bosch, and more. Simply upload the design file you want to be manufactured and boom! In a matter of seconds, you'll get an instant quote and access to dozens of manufacturing processes like CNC machining, sheet cutting and fabrication, 3D printing, injection molding, and more. Plus, you'll have plenty of delivery window options and prices available to suit your budget. Worry less and get the parts you need manufactured with Zometry so you can get back to building. Zometry, where big ideas are built. But in this concept, balance, I don't love because it feels like the idea of balance is it's static and life and career are always flowing. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. Today we have a return guest, Jeff Perry, who is here to talk today about his new book, The Intentional Engineer, which will help you become your best self, get clarity on what is most important to you, unlock your potential, and create success and impact in your career and your life. Jeff, welcome back to the Being an Engineer podcast. Aaron, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. So tell me, where did the idea for this book come from? Why, why did you feel compelled to write this? Yeah, so it, it'd be tough to say like just in the moment, because like anything in our lives, it, it's a compounding experience, right? But I've had a thought and a desire for years now that I wanted to write a book. But what book I wanted to write and when and how I was going to carve out the time to be able to do that, like, I, I just didn't know. And I never committed to it. But as I was actually talking to you briefly before we started recording, it was through some conversations with mentors and coaches that I have that unlocked kind of this vision of what might be possible and and kind of, you know, they, they were essentially asking, like, when are you going to write that first book? Because I've been writing blogs and articles and newsletters and things for years now, creating content around how engineers can be their best selves and upgrade their lives and their careers for a long time. Why haven't I written a book about it yet? Right. And so, and I had a particular timeline and an event that I would have loved to, that I loved, was excited to, to have a book for. And so I sort of got this vision on my mind of like, how cool would that be to have a book at that day and time? And I worked from that date backwards to what needed to happen to make that possible I found a resource and a and a coach that could help me essentially create and publish a book in 90 days. And pretty much every week I hit my milestones. And then here we are with the book in, in my hand and, and getting into other people's hands. So um it, it started with with an idea and I and kind of a dream that I've had for a long time that I finally turned into a commitment in a way that to create something that I hope is a resource that's extremely helpful for engineers and technology professionals to become their best selves. Amazing. Three months is an impressively short amount of time to write a book. Tell me a little bit about that process. Like, what were your milestones? You mentioned weekly milestones. Did you break it down day by day, week by week, month by month? How, how did you go about writing it? Right. So I... It essentially broke it down from hey, what stepping back to the the deadlines I needed to to meet to to create that. So to have it uh, published in hand, I need, needed to have it submitted. I self published on Amazon. That was the the plan from the beginning, but because that's the largest distribution platform, and they allow you to essentially print on demand, so you don't have to carry inventory and stuff. So it's super cool that way. Um, but. Uh, you know, it essentially needed to be submitted to them like a couple weeks before the day that I actually wanted to have it in hand so that it could, could get reviewed and then I can get them shipped to me so I could take it to an event I was going to. So that was kind of stepping back from there. Then from there, there's all the, all the things that needed to 
be taken care of that I didn't know. There are a lot of complexities to writing a book, even if you're self-publishing, that I was just completely unaware of. From ISBN numbers to getting a number from the Library of Congress and the details of of cover design and and everything in between. It's not just writing the words and then submitting it in and then typesetting, right? So like getting where the words and the image is going to be on the pages, a lot of details there. But I stepped back so and I connected with an editor who's going to help me turn my rough writing into something that, that was going to be a little prettier and and more readable. And so essentially that first month was me writing my first we call it a vomit draft of the book. And then the second month was deep into editing, went through a couple of deep revisions and got got it really close and then started getting into the typesetting and you know refining the images and everything. And my wife was actually super cool and designed the cover and which so we worked together on that. And and then we're able to finally um finally put things together and and submit it and, and and you get some proofs, some some sample prints uh, along the way to see how it falls out and and make some adjustments there. And so, like like any engineering project, you gotta get the get the prototype. You have the vision of the design, then you gotta iterate through that, and then test and and get the data, see what needs to be changed, and then you know try and get to a a final result. Like, but also like any engineering project. There's no such thing as perfect. So is this book perfect? No. Like I'm sure there's plenty of things that even today I'd probably change a couple of things. But that's totally cool. Like I wrote the best book that I could at the time. And if I write another book, I'll write it from that place. Did the book change at all as you were writing it? Or did you pretty much have an exact idea from the start of what you wanted this book to be? Yeah. So when I... I've had multiple ideas for books over the years and uh, multiple times that I've actually outlined a book and said, this is kind of what I want uh, a book to be about. And so to that degree, it changed a lot just over the years of me conceptualizing the idea of writing a book. But like the the title of this one called The Intentional Engineer, um, the title, once I kind of declared that, that didn't change. Um and you know chapter structures and and some of the ways that i would describe things absolutely changed i mean an editor is going to take the red pen and and mark it up pretty hard and uh and and she was extremely detail oriented and extremely helpful and supportive while not trying to change my intent with the book but to help me convey the ideas in as effective a way as possible so absolutely it changed to that degree, but the the purpose and and my intent around what I wanted this book to become didn't have a massive shift from when I declared that I wanted to write this. So let, let's get into the the purpose and the intent of the book. The title is The Intentional Engineer, so obviously it's for engineering professionals. What um what are engineers going to take away from from this book and is it limited to engineers or are there other related professionals that would benefit from the book? Yeah, so the the subtitle of The Intentional Engineer is a guide to a purpose-driven life and career for engineers and technical professionals. So while, yeah, we're kind of talking primarily to engineers, um, I've worked with and love working with uh, engineering or technology-adjacent folks. And so I think anyone in that realm, but I've had plenty of people in those spaces say, well, really, also, these principles that we're applying here, while I'm talking to engineers about them, could be applied to anyone. So I find my niche with with engineers and technology professionals, but probably anyone could read the book, really, and, and get something out of it, I hope. And so the, the intent here is like, how do we be, be purpose-driven? Define what our intent is with our life and career, because Instead of just like, hey, work-life balance, actually shift that early in the book and say, first of all, why are we putting work first and letting life just fill in all the little gaps that show up after work? And second, I don't really love the balance, like, at least in this context, balance as a as a concept is fine. But in this concept, balance 
I don't love because it feels like, um, you know, the idea of balance is it's static, right? It's unmoving and life and career are always flowing. And, and it also feels like, Hey, maybe they're in opposition. So you think about like vectors, right? So vectors that are in, in opposing directions, you know, they're going to oppose each other. So if I give anything else to work, then it's going to take away from life. If I give anything else to life, then it's going to take away from work. But that feels like a zero-sum game when we think about it that way. So trying to shift from how do we actually move towards alignment, right? So vectors that add to each other. Can my life support my me doing my best work in my professional life? Can my professional life support me in the kind of life that I want to live? And wherever you are and whatever you do, and that that is a much more empowering way to to look at all of that. Um, so, so that's that's kind of a an early shift that we try and think about things, and then we we go forward from there. And we should spend just a minute or two for those who haven't heard your previous episode. Tell us a little bit about what it is you do high level outside of just the book. Yeah, perfect. So. I'm a, I'm a leadership and career expert, primarily working with engineers and technology professionals. Um, so I worked with people from new grads to executive level engineering and technology leaders to help unlock their potential. Like, I feel like we all get in this state uh, or, or situation or have a hard time seeing and believing in the value that we can bring to the world. And part of my role in this life and kind of my purpose as I've defined it, and I would say even just uncovered it, is to help people see that value that, that they have and believe the truth rather than believing the limiting beliefs that might be holding them back from living out their greatest potential. And so we all struggle with that. I've had plenty of struggles and still do. Like it's almost like I, I was talking to another friend and mentor yesterday who says, like, we're all in this mountain that doesn't have a top, right? So we continue to make progress, but there's not like this end destination we're trying to get to. And we can also look back as we make progress and and enjoy the beautiful view and how far we've come, right? Uh, but but we're never finished products. We're, we're always continuing to, to grow, and we're all on this journey of becoming who we have the potential to become. And so that that's a joy and an opportunity where, and that looks like, Opportunities where I get to work one on one with people to make big shifts in their career, so in ways that align with, you know, their life and the things that they care about, but also work with uh, organizations and teams to improve the connection that they have with each other, which then improves and accelerates collaboration, innovation, and productivity, um, and and the results that they get. So unlocking engineers and technology professionals with them being their best selves. Also, it, it helps the individuals and everyone who's involved to, for them to feel more satisfied with life. But the hope then also is I believe that engineers and technology professionals have an, a huge responsibility because as technology continues to progress, we are creating the technology and the infrastructure and, and everything else that gets used by, by so many people. We influence lives across the globe with the work that we do. And so us doing great work has a huge impact on our society at large um, and can save and improve lives, not just ourselves, but but those that we're creating things for um, with downstream effects. And so if we're working in our best self, then what we create and innovate will also impact the world. So that's great. So I, I've heard you talk about alignment a few times now, your life or your personal life being aligned with your professional life, build a little bit more context around that. What, what does that mean? Do you have any, any examples that you can share? Right. So here's, here's one, uh, an example of one of the clients. I, t I tell her story a little bit in, in the book. Um, and I'll change her name. I'll call her Kim. So Kim was a, a PhD level engineer. Um, who was having a hard time. She was working, she had been multidisciplinary even throughout her PhD and some of the research that she'd done. And then she got into kind of a boutique consulting firm. And there were a lot of things she liked about that, but a lot of things she didn't 
like working for a narcissistic boss, which wasn't excellent. Um, and also where she lived um, didn't feel like that was uh, the perfect spot for her either. Um, on the side of her typical role as an engineer, she also really loved and got to enjoy doing some professional mountain biking. So she had sponsors and on the weekends, she spent a lot of time doing that. But where she was, she was sort of far away from some of those things and um, couldn't just get out and ride when, when she wanted to, because that's something that really filled her up. Um, she also recognized through some of our working together that um, this idea of really being satisfied and aligned in her work was really important to her more than she thought. And she realized why she realized that uh, she was afraid of having a career that didn't serve her like she saw her parents have. She grew up and noticed later as an adult that both of her parents hated their jobs and careers. And that impacted her as, you know, a child in that situation. And so, um, you know, we could say that they weren't aligned in, in those things because our work, we can't just put our, our boxes and I'm going to put my work box and my family box and my community box and all those different things. Um, we are that whole person, right? And it, and it shows up everywhere. And then she also recognized and had some opportunities where she really loved getting into high level stuff. She loved looking at the big level of the project rather than just the minute details of the technology or the analysis that was happening. She loved leadership. She loved bringing people together. And so all these realizations that she was starting to put together and, and she was like, she realized that what she was doing now was not kind of bringing out her best skills, abilities, and where she found fulfillment and joy and, and also was able to do her best work. So um, we, and but she didn't know what that was yet, like what could do that. Um, and so it was through a lot of iteration, exploration, conversations that she uncovered a type of role that she didn't even know existed before and eventually was technical program or, and project management um, in a really detailed technical environment. So she could wear and put on those hats and, and that expertise that she had from the technical world but also do that in a way that brought people together with that leadership alignment. And it got her to, to move to a place that had excellent mountain biking <laughs> that she could enjoy and, uh, and had lower cost of living and she got a significant raise. Wow. So, Amazing. Uh, Trifecta. I'll, I'll, yeah, exactly. So, so all these things. And then I talked to her a, a little while later and she'd gotten three raises since she's been there. So like she's just <laughs> thriving in, in amazing ways. Uh, and, and, and loving it. So, uh, but, but finding some of those core things that drove her that she wasn't aware of, or she was aware of, she didn't really like accept as important enough to do something about, but was a big deal. And, and that brought in some of this alignment for who she was, how she could do her best work, how her work could support that and also live and, and engage in the other passions and desires that she had. Yeah, that's great. What are a few of the principles that you talk about in the book and, and what, um, what are engineers or other technical professionals going to learn about these pr principles that they can apply to their lives and uh, improve their careers and lives? Yeah. So, I mean, let's just go to the, to the title of the book and kind of the key word is being intentional, right? To be intentional is a choice, right? So kind of looking at where are you at in your career? Are you being, are you, you know, and I have a model earlier in early in the book in chapter one that it's kind of like five different layers. You can think of it like a ladder, but it's not like climbing a corporate ladder. It's like a, a what level are you at right now in your feeling and your experience around your career? So are you kind of are you out of work, which means your career isn't really going anywhere right now and you're just um you know, you're feeling uh passed over. Um, are you, um, kind of just doing, uh, what you're obligated to do maybe in a role that feels like you're just surviving, right? It, and, and that's noble, right? When you have to do that to do what you need to do for a time, but 
you also want to look in how can I level up again. The next level is kind of like uh, being opportunistic, right? And this is where I was for a long time in my career, just, hey, opportunities came my way. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's something new. I'll, I'll try that. But it's not like what I said I want to go do and try. It's it's like, hey, this opportunity came my way and I'm just going to do that. And some of those things worked out and some of those didn't. That's fine. And I learned from those, right? But but you're kind of in this stage like, hey, I'm being paid okay. You know, engineers generally get paid reasonably well, but it may be not quite aligned. And so you're kind of disengaged in that work and certainly not thriving, right? So the tipping point is this to get to that next level is to be intentional. When we're intentional, we get to purposeful growth where we say, this is who I'm becoming and I'm growing in these areas. That's the the skills, the abilities that, and the person that you're trying to become in in your life and your career. And then that can lead us to kind of the, the, the top level, which I'd call life's work. And, and it's to be, um, and it really is, you know, we're, it goes beyond ourselves and and we're able to impact other people through our, our leadership or other, in, uh, other influence and, and things that we get to do. Beyond just us being satisfied, we're, we're kind of spreading that that love and success. And so that's, that's kind of uh, allows us to look at where we're at and say, doesn't matter where you are right now, how can you move forward with intention here? There's a lot of but there's two whole chapters on the process of identifying and shifting our mindsets because our mindsets who we what we believe about ourselves is like the operating system inside of our of our minds and our bodies that it, or the lens through which we see the world right and so if an opportunity comes or, or a situation comes or a challenge comes if my mindset's wrong it's going to distort how I'd move forward with that, right? And um, so so how we shift that and accept what's true about ourselves and more power and empower, in an empowering way that allows us to move forward with with purpose and intention and and confidence that that can help us uh, not just change what we do, right? It's not just like the specific action we do, but how we do it and how we show up in the world has a huge impact on the results that we're going to get, right? Instead of saying, hey, I might, if I'm an engineer and I need to like gain these skills, let's not just focus only on the actions and behaviors we need to do differently, but change who we are. And that's kind of the mindset piece. I would love if you would talk for a minute or two about how you go about identifying and then changing for the better mindset. Yeah, good. Um, so number of things that we can do, like there, there are some excellent mindset assessments that I, I feel like can be quite helpful. And one of the things about taking a mindset assessment is different than a lot of times we might have experience with taking vocational or personality assessments that sometimes are very prescriptive and say, this is who you are and this is who you're always going to be. Once look at mindsets as a as a gradient that is always changing and moving, right? And so if you take an assessment, it's just a snapshot, a moment in time with how you answered those questions that day. And so we, we just look at um, what are the, the lenses we're seeing things and are we really seeing the realities of, of the situation? So um, just to uh, give an example here, so I, I tell this story about one of my clients, Susan, who um, had been, you know, through many people in, in COVID and, and corresponding years and, and tech layoffs and other things, she was laid off, right? And she'd been with the company for 10 years. She'd been growing and had multiple promotions and things and, and been quite successful. And then it felt like, hey, that was all gone. Like, what, what the heck am I going to do? And so a negative mindset might say, hey, I just got canned and that that situation tells me that I'm not worth being employed. I don't have value to bring because they didn't want to keep me around, right? They kept other people, not me, right? But when you start believing those sorts of things, how does that change how you show up? 
right? Um, how does that color any conversations that you have? How does that help you get out of bed <laughs> to take on the next day and try and reach out to the next person to find a new opportunity that's going to be better suited? Um, also in this time, she had a, a pet that she cared about that, that died and she had to put down and, and all sorts of things. And she, you know, so she could have wallowed in, in that pretty hard. And I'm not saying like we shouldn't take time to grieve and all that stuff. Right. But, um, she told me, and, and I didn't shift any of this for her. Um, she told me, Hey, I recognize that I have a choice of how I'm going to move through this experience. And, and I'm grateful that I have people around me. Um, she was using me as a, as a mentor and a coach at that time. And I see that I have a lot of things in place to help me move forward here. And, and I'm going to step forward with that. Like, so she was acting from her, a place of power and opportunity rather than a place of being a victim and, and powerlessness, which we can sometimes get into. And I'm not naming any specific mindsets here, which I do in the book, but it's just an example of, of a person who made the choice to believe things that were going to empower her to take different actions instead of believing and taking on mindsets that were going to drain her and um, that, and not, not be helpful. So those mindsets and those beliefs are a huge fuel for how we show up in the world. And that's just one example. Which is really hard sometimes, right? I mean, I know totally. from personal experience that I don't always feel like being positive. Sometimes it's paradoxical because logically, I know I should have a positive outlook on life, that that's going to give me my best results. But there are times when I feel down and defeated and I almost want to wallow in that, you know, there's almost this sick pleasure in woe is me, the world is against me. So kudos to her for recognizing that she had that choice and having the self-control or the power, the capacity to, to act on it. How about for individuals that they, they just can't get there on their own? Are there any tools that you can suggest to, to help those individuals, you know, kind of pull themselves out of, of the muck? Yeah. So, and what I'm not suggesting here, Aaron, is just like toxic positivity, like, hey, just, just, you know, sunshine and rainbows, think that everything's happy and well, and like, just you know, everything's going to go right, just, okay. just smile, like, we, you know, that's not helpful either, like to just put on a facade and pretend that everything's fine when it's not, right? Um, but there's a difference between allowing those emotions and the truths of what we're actually feeling to be experienced, to really indulging in them, or even just resisting them, right? Like those aren't those approaches aren't helpful. So, Aaron, if you don't mind me doing this, can we get a little bit more personal? Absolutely. Right? So you're talking about your it. own Let's your own struggles it. here. So, tell me about a time when you've been in that space where, like, hey, just digging into that muck, like that kind of feels good. Like, you know, I just want to stay here. This is comfortable instead of trying to. To break through that. Okay. Maybe something that you're experiencing a little bit right now. Absolutely. So one of the biggest struggles I have at work, I think this is true for most small business owners, is just feeding the machine, you know, getting enough work to come in to keep everyone busy and keep the business thriving. And in general, we've been around for 14 years now. We've, we've been profitable every year and we've grown every year. So things have actually gone pretty well. Nevertheless, there are times when things slow down a bit and I start thinking to myself, oh, geez, what's going to happen next month? How am I going to keep the team busy? Are we going to have enough work? Um, what if things really get slow and my mind just spirals, right? It just goes down into these dark places. Oh, what, what, if, what if I have to let people go? And what if, what if this and what if that? And I mean, it goes all the way down to, oh, I'll, I'll go bankrupt, you know, just kind of crazy places, right? But my mind will go there sometimes. And sometimes it can take a little while for myself to, to pull out of, of that space. Yeah. So 
when you're in that space, you're you're thinking about in the fears and the what if situations of these potentially catastrophic or in your mind catastrophic experiences or situations sort of start to spiral. But what are you believing about yourself as the leader of that? You know, what are yeah. some of those like beliefs that you feel like you're having about you in that moment? One thing I have realized as I have moved into the role of a business owner and leader and and not engineer. And at the beginning of the business, I was the engineer, right? I was the business owner and I was the engineer. I would argue I wasn't so much the business owner. I was much more the engineer. I was doing the stuff, right? And as the years have gone by, I've moved out of that role. And now I'm I'm the business owner. I'm the leader. I focus on mostly non-engineering things at this point. And I realized that, you know, my engineering skills are not what they used to be. I, I can, you know, pick up CAD and still drive CAD, but where was that button? And how do I create that one feature? You know, I've, I've forgotten some of those things that were just second nature to me in the past. And part of my identity, I think, was based on being a really good um, design engineer. And, and I've lost some of that. So when my, mark, when my mind goes to these uh, admittedly kind of ludicrous, dark places, I'll think, shoot, if, if, if I were to lose anything, what would I do? I don't have the skills I used to have as an engineer. And of course, I realize that I have new skills now that, that are valuable and marketable. But I, yeah, I, I go to kind of a, a, a dark place like that. And I, I worry about it. And that's where I go. Yeah. So you start wondering, like, do I really have value to give? Like, I'm a great engineer, or that was your identity before, but I'm not a great leader. Um, and who am I to put these people in this situation? And, oh, totally. Yeah, there's uh, imposter and, syndrome. And, and put them in this, and, and you know, they're trusting me, but why are they trusting me and all this stuff? And And it doesn't take too, you don't have to think too hard to think, like, do those thoughts and those feelings and those beliefs about yourselves do they serve you at all no. positively? Do they help you in any way? Yeah. So that this that's that's I think my point is I fully recognize they don't. And there are times when I'll lie in bed at night, right? Just going over things in my mind. Okay, we have to do this and we have to do that. And and I recognize in the moment I should be sleeping right now. I should be resting my body and my brain and thinking through all these different things that need to happen. Maybe they're not even like worries or concerns. They're just things that need to happen. That's not useful for me right now. What's What would be most beneficial for me right now is going to sleep. But I, I still have a, tr a hard time pulling myself out of there and, and doing the thing that I know is best for me, but I don't always do it. Yeah. And you said a word that I love is like, is it useful? Like, recognize what's useful and what's not useful. That's a fabulous realization. And I think if we just reflect on that for a second, if we're feeling a, a belief about ourselves, we can recognize, is this useful or is it not? So that's that's kind of the first step is awareness, right? And I you have a model in the book that kind of moves from unconscious incompetence. So we are unaware of what's wrong, right? And And how we're not serving ourselves to getting to the next layer is to conscious incompetence. So now I'm aware, this is painful, but I'm at least aware of what's wrong and what's going on as we move through this shift. So then what for you has, so you identify, hey, this isn't helpful. I recognize this isn't being useful. What has then helped you to, to I mean, what what we're really trying to do here is to shift from these are the things that I'm actually believing in myself that I don't have this value to, to bring, like who am I and all that stuff um, that isn't serving us to actually identifying what's actually true. Because those things that you believe about yourself aren't true. They're unhelpful and they're not true, right? Yeah. So, so what's actually true about you, Aaron? I, I would say it's not so much believing that I, I don't have the value. It's I feel I feel stress. I think that dealing with stress has been a challenge for me for a long time and I've I've gotten better about it. And one thing that I have learned is that stress is like the body's 
notification system that there's a problem and it needs to be solved. And that's all it is. And and you can internalize that stress as like, I, I feel anxious, I feel nervous, I feel scared, and just sit with that as a problem. Or you can recognize that my body is notifying me that there is an issue and you need to figure it out. And and once I step back and look at it like that, and I, I start breaking it down, right? My engineering brain, this is what engineers do. Okay, here's the problem. What needs to happen to resolve this problem? And go through a few steps and identify some actions I can take. I always feel better. Once I've identified some actions and I actually start taking action, I always feel better. So the the, the whole stress thing, it's it's tempting, not tempting, that's not the right word. It can be easy to fall into the trap of just sitting with those feelings and, and feeling the stress and not doing anything about it, but recognizing that it's a notification, it's your body's alarm system. Hey, this thing is going on. You need to you need to figure it out. You need to deal with it and then take an action. That's been a, a big help for me. Yeah, so that's awesome. So you're not just suppressing like, hey, like this feeling's bad. I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. You're allowing it, saying, hey, body, thank you for letting me know that something's going on. Right. You're allowing that to happen, but you're not just sitting there and indulging in that, right? And so we move from this stage of um, awareness of it to start being consciously, like taking that conscious action to saying, what can I do about this? And one of the one of the models of the ways to move through this shift, and, it, and you're, you've been doing this, is you take that action... And then you're kind of aware of like, hey, did that thing that I was fearing actually happen? Did all those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad things that I was afraid of actually happen when I took this thing that was feeling fearful or stressful before? And so it's it's kind of almost like we have these assumptions, these driving assumptions that aren't usually true in our minds. And so it's kind of like using the scientific method. We say, okay, I have this assumption that if, if I do this, then this is going to happen. But usually that then it's going to happen is something that we feel like is going to be quite uh, quite bad or <laughs> whatever, right? Um, but we take action against that. And so that's sort of our hypothesis in the scientific method. We run an experiment that says we take action anyway. And then we collect the data and say, what actually happens? Well, if that, if that thing that I feared didn't actually happen, which you haven't gone bankrupt, you haven't had to lay a bunch of people off, your business has continued to grow. As you continue to take the right steps and just do what you can do as you move forward, then, um, then that belief or that assumption that I had isn't actually valid and it starts to lose its power on us day by day, step by step, moment by moment, action by action that we take. And then eventually, because what essentially we're doing in our minds and our bodies is we're, we're building neural connections, right? So uh, neurobiologists would say like neurons that fire together, wire together. So we're trying to wire and build the neural super highways in our minds to, to support the more positive things. And over time, as we do that, we're literally rewiring our brain and we move from that state of from unconscious un incompetence to conscious incompetence. We start doing that consciously, taking those steps. We get to conscious competence. It, we still have to really think about it, um, but we're getting better and we're, we're making progress. Eventually, it becomes more of our natural state of being and we get to unconscious competence um, over time as we shift that mindset and those beliefs. The, the whole rewiring of your brain, I think, is a, a huge point. And, and this is not some woo-woo stuff where you're just like talking to yourself. And, and that really does happen. This is, this is physiology and biology, right? Um, I want to go back to the point that we were talking about, um, which was, hold on, I have to remember what it was now, uh, paranoia. We talked a little bit about being paranoid that this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And I do find that my mind, me personally, does tend to go to the worst place right away. And sometimes I pull myself out quickly and other times I don't. Jim Collins, the, the business author, Good to Great, and has several other great books, he talks about the concept of productive paranoia. So I don't think that being paranoid is necessarily a bad thing as long as you can use it to your advantage. 
which I'll be the first to admit I'm still a work in progress. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Right. Uh, but but the, the practice of rewiring one's brain, right? I find that when I do fall into those dark places, I am getting better at recognizing it and stopping and saying, okay, use this as a trigger to put myself into a better headspace. And the more I can do that, the better I get at, well, A, pulling myself out of those dark places, but B, not not going there to begin with. Yeah, totally. And um, and sometimes we can do that on our own, but a lot of times, and maybe this is true in your experience, but it is for me, I need other people to help me through some of that, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. you probably as a leader get to help and kind of impress your confidence in other people and kind of help them see that when they don't see that in themselves, right? But also people, you probably have people in your life, whether that's coworkers, mentors, uh, the spouse or family member or someone who does that for you and believes in you and kind of helps you reconnect to what's true about you and what and that gets you more in that empowering state when you have a hard time doing that for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Right. And, and it, I see that in so many conversations. And I just had a couple earlier today where people are in just in some tough spots with where they're at in their career and they've been laid off and it's been months and the financial runway's running out and they just like, and all this weight of everything that's going on um, is just weighing heavily on them, right? And so how they operate from the moment they wake up through the day and like, it's just, the the energy isn't there, but they're they're buying into these negative beliefs about themselves that are not serving them. And so when they do get the opportunities to talk to other people and things, they're not really stepping into the confidence about who they are. And so people don't get that opportunity right now to see their true selves, right? And so finding, sometimes we need to look back for evidence as well at those, at like, say, this is who I really am. And it's not digging into like prideful, like, hey, I deserve, like, I, I'm this wonderful person who everyone should love and adore, right? But it's just sort of stepping into, this is who I really am. And I have a lot of value to bring. And if I'm in my career and I'm asking for a raise or I'm trying to get a job and I'm in a job interview, or um, I want to try a new business or whatever that is, that is, that is in your intention, right? And what you're trying to accomplish then stepping into that confidence of this is who you are and the value you have to bring allows the right people to see that instead of seeing that kind of um, less empowered version of you. What are some really tactical steps from the book or from your coaching in general that people can take, engineers, technology professionals, to identify what what is the core of me? You know, what do I really want to be doing? Yeah. So one of the chapters is about a principle. It's called the genius zone and kind of identifying those areas that are unique to you and where you kind of do your best work. Um, and genius zones, like anything else, also like adapt and grow over time as you have different experiences but there's two primary ways that I've found that we can identify them. And what we're trying to do is harness these genius zones so we, because when we're operating from them, we really enjoy it. So it increases satisfaction, but we also deliver more impact in, in what we do. So two primary ways that I've found to be helpful is, and one is to identify moments and activities and situations where we find ourselves in a state of flow. Okay, flow was originally coined by the researcher, um, if I pronounce his name right, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Um, he's passed away recently, um, but written a few books on the subject and, and a ton of business books have referenced him, mine included. Um, and uh, this the state of flow is, if you think about it in like an XY graph, okay, it's this balance of on one axis, it's the challenge of the situation you're facing. 
with your ability or capability or skills to meet that challenge. And when those things are aligned, right, when your ability, but it's a high enough challenge that is also engaging, so you're not just bored, but if the challenge is too high and your abilities aren't there, then you're kind of going to get anxious, right? And so looking at, okay, if I'm bored, I need to increase the challenge if I'm anxious, I need to increase my capability, and, and looking for those opportunities to, to get in flow. And what is it about that? What activities, experiences, like you almost lose track of time when you're, and uh, you're just getting in that state. And so engineering designers can like get in that kind of flow state. Um, sometimes I do it when I'm in a coaching session, I sort of lose track of time because I'm just really with the person that I'm with or, or training or whatever. Um, another way to kind of identify and unlock some of these genius zones is to look for combinations of skills, innate talents that you might have, experiences you have that have sort of created who you are over time, right? And and when you, it's almost like putting together a Venn diagram. And when you look at, okay, I've developed these sorts of skills. That's interesting. I've had these experiences that have shaped who I am. And these are things that I've just sort of always been able to to do and that I've always been interested in. Um, you know, we just wired all differently when we, when we uh, are born. Um, when you put those combinations together, we can usually kind of get that intersection and kind of a Venn diagram of what's unique to you. And, and you can use that in a couple of ways. Again, first of all, you can say, this is what I'm going to do. But then also you can kind of build that into how you communicate your best skills and the value that you bring to a potential employer, or if you were a business owner to, you know, clients or, or other things, right? So you can use that in big ways. And so just one example of like one of my clients, he's an experienced, he's in the software engineering field, uh, experienced software engineering leader, worked on cloud development data and building systems in, in software uh, with his teams that could um, be very repeatable. He also had a lot of experience in leadership and empowering his teams. Um, and and he also really loved where he had the opportunities to bring cross-functional groups together. He could get interest in the marketing and the product folks, not just in the technical side. He could He could see all of that and he could bring people together to align on what needed to be accomplished. That combination of all of these different things was something that he could then express as a genius zone and bring that out. But before that, all he was looking is these, these skills and abilities uh, in isolation to just check some boxes. But now he could see that that combination really was something that, that he could leverage in a bigger way and landed him a a new leadership opportunity that basically doubled his salary. So it was amazing. Terrific. I like your term genius zone. I, I've heard that referred to as unique ability as well by yep. uh, Dan Sullivan yep. at Strategic yep. Dan Coach. Dan Sullivan says unique ability. Genius zone comes from Gay Hendricks. Uh, I kind of like genius uh, zone better. But, but they're the same, they're the same, same basic thing. idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something I've done and I've had my team do to identify that that genius zone is... Uh, this is a really tactical thing that that anyone else can do out there. Super simple, free. Um, keep track of what you're doing every single day for a week or or maybe even two weeks, and just write everything you're down. Just put a spreadsheet out there. Write down well, uh, uh, this hour I worked on this thing. These two hours I did this thing, and keep track of it every day for a couple of weeks. And then next to each of those rows, um, put a number one, two, three, four. Four being you're in that state of flow. You love it. You're good at it. One being, I hate this. I'm not good at it. Two and three are like, uh, I, I like this, but I'm not good at it. Or I'm not good at this, but uh, uh, or the other one. I don't like this, but I am good at it. Anyway, four being the one that you're, you're really looking for. That's your state of flow, your genius zone. And then go after a couple of weeks, go back and look at it and look at all the fours, the rows that are fours, right? And see if you can identify a pattern. What was it about those activities that put me into that state of flow. And, and that's a great way I've found to identify the things that you really love doing. Absolutely. That, it's a fabulous exercise. Not in the book, but I, I'd give my stamp of approval for that one. Yes. All right. Jeff Perry's <laughs> stamp of, of approval. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff, uh, what else should, uh, should people know about the book? 
Yeah. So if people want to go get a book, get the book, uh, then go grab it on Amazon or you can find more information at uh, theintentionalengineer.com. The other cool thing that I uh, created along with the, the main book is a corresponding workbook, the PDF that's, they can grab the PDF free or uh, there is a printable version they can grab on Amazon as well, Intentional Engineer Workbook. And it correlates with the book that's, you know, so um, again, take the exercises, the ideas, every every chapter has reflection questions and activities for you to do to take intentional action. Instead of just like, hey, I'm just, you know, reading these ideas, but like, what are you going to do with that? I invite action in every chapter. And and the workbook helps you to do that and provide space where if you like to type or if you want to print them out and, and write it down, like what however you work best so you can take the ideas, put them into action and get get clarity and and move forward with, with these ideas. So um, trying to give you the tools to go take and put these into practice in your life and career. Terrific. And people can just go to Amazon to find that book? Yep, go to Amazon and or I link again if it's easier to find the intentionalengineer.com. Perfect. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the show again, ex- uh, sharing all of your insight and wisdom and experience. And I bet a lot of people are going to enjoy this episode and, and your book, um, including me. It was basically therapy for me today. So thanks, Jeff. Good. <laughs> thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate uh, knowing you and, and being with you again. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening.